Shattered dreams. Worthless years. Here I am encased inside a hollow shell. Life began, then was done. Now I stare into a cold and empty well. The many sounds that meet our ears, the sights our eyes behold, will open up our merging hearts and feed our empty souls. I believe when I fall in love, it will be forever. Stevie Wonder. Hey, hi, and hello. Welcome to Creative Forever, the podcast dedicated to keeping you forever inspired, forever motivated, forever creative, and forever you. I am your host, Janet, a.k.a. JM, a.k.a. the voice inside your head, a.k.a. your biggest fan. And together, we're going to get some creative shit done. Okay, today is a special day. If you noticed, the uh, lyric reading, song reading thing we do at the top was not me. That was my wife, Kate, because today she is our guest. We're doing a little uh, something I'm going to call Married Forever. <laughs> is that cheesy? Not at all. I don't care if it's cheesy. I, I want to do it. So, uh, hi, Kate. Hi, Janet. How you doing? I'm great. Awesome. Um, so, Kate is here today because we are doing something special. We're going to talk about adaptation, and we're going to talk about adaptation, uh, I guess, on the ground, in the field, sort of by talking about something that has been adapted. Um, in this case, we're going to talk about the book, High Fidelity, which is also a movie, High Fidelity, which is also a TV series on Hulu called High Fidelity. This book has been out since 1995. Uh, the movie has been out since 2000. And you can literally binge watch all the episodes on Hulu in like two nights. Um, so if you don't want to be spoiled, just save this episode for later and come back to us uh, once you've checked out one or two or all three versions of this story. But if you can only do one, just watch the show on Hulu. Um, if you decide to do two, I guess add the movie in the mix. The book is from 1995 and it feels like you're reading a book from 1995. Uh, so it doesn't have to be top of your list. We'll talk about the book here, but uh, yes, there will be spoilers. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to be spoiled, please stop listening. Come back once you've seen the show on Hulu. Now let's cover all of the characters. So when we jump around, you can jump around with us like the... 90s song, jump around, <laughs> jump up, jump up, and get down. Um, <laughs> okay. 1995, the book, main character's name is Rob Fleming. The uh, story is set in London for the book. The movie in 2000, Rob Gordon is our main character. So still Rob, just last name change. And the actor that plays Rob is John Cusack. For the Hulu series from 2020, still Rob, but this time Rob Brooks. And this time there's a gender flip. So Rob Brooks is played by Zoe Kravitz. You will know Zoe Kravitz because Zoe Kravitz is Lisa Bonet and Lenny Kravitz's daughter. So yeah, so Zoe plays Rob for the Hulu series in 2020. They set the uh, story in Crown Heights, Brooklyn for this one. And it's fun that Zoe is playing the main character, Rob, because in the movie, Lisa Bonet plays a singer 
um, and love interest to John Cusack for a hot minute. So that's really cool. All right. Best friends in the book, Dick and Barry. Okay. In the movie, Dick and Barry still, and they are played by Dick is played by Todd Lucio. Barry is played by Jack Black. And everybody remembers, I think, who has seen the movie that Jack Black sort of stole the show most of the time. For the Hulu series, we have Simon and Sharice. So instead of Dick and Barry, we have Simon and Sharice. Simon is played by David Holmes, um, and Sharice is played by the amazing Divine Joy Randolph, okay? And uh, Sharice is pretty much the Barry or Jack Black character, and Simon is pretty much the Dick character uh, from both the movie and the book. All right, so let's get to the exes. In the book, Laura is the ex. Same thing for the movie. Laura is the ex. Laura is the one that Rob is dealing with, trying to get back together with. Uh, in the TV show, because of the gender flip with Zoe Kravitz as Rob, they gender flip Laura, and Laura technically becomes Mac. Okay, so Mac is the ex, and Laura is the ex. All right, from there, the extra person we want to mention is Clyde. Clyde is a love interest for the Rob in the Hulu series. Clyde did not exist in the movie or the book, uh, is an addition to the TV show, a welcome addition to the TV show, and we will talk more about Clyde later on. We're going to start by reading the synopsis on the back of the book. It reads as such. Do you know your desert island all-time top five most memorable split-ups? Rob does. He keeps a list, in fact. But Laura isn't even on it, even though she's just become his latest ex. He's got his life back, you see. He can just do what he wants when he wants, like listen to whatever music he likes, look up the girls who are on his list, and generally behave as if Laura never mattered. But Rob finds he can't move on. He's stuck in a really deep groove, and it's called Laura. Soon, he's asking himself some big questions about love, about life, and about why we choose to share ours with the people we do. And then the New Yorker here says, it's rare that a book so hilarious is also so sharp about sex and manliness, memory, and music. That definitely came from 1995. <laughs> um, can I just ask, like, without getting into anything, how do you even feel about hearing that? Gets to pretend like she doesn't even matter. Like, yeah, why are we selling? Is that a selling point on the back of the Yay. book? <laughs> so I've talked about this before. I don't like it when they tell you everything that's going to happen in a book or in a something. I think trailers are too descriptive. Like, I think this could have just been on the back of the book or even the movie. Do you know what your desert island all time top five most memorable split ups R, Rob does. He keeps a list, in fact. And then just kind of cut it like that. Just get to the point that he's broken up with his ex and he's sad and leave it. Do you typically make it through the entire back of a book when you're reading it before you've read a book? No. So I... Same as trailers. Yeah. So, yes, <laughs> you you know this. I don't want to watch a whole trailer. When, okay, okay, we got it. Yeah, we got it. Like, you, I, you sold, I was sold two seconds in. Um, that's why I'm fine showing up to movies when they start because... 
I don't need to watch six mini movies before that. Um, and I don't really read the backs of books. Like I'm a book reader, but I don't show up at a bookstore not knowing what I'm getting. Yeah. You? I mean, I don't go to the bookstore and like browse. If I was going there, I would know what I was going there for because I was already aware of the fact that I wanted to go get some book. But I mean, I think that if that was like part of something I did, yeah. But I would read the back. Yeah. The whole back and watch the whole trailer. Ugh. And forget it by the time. Oh, right. I Before see it, see it again. Yeah. No, I'll be like, I've already seen this. Haven't I already seen this? Oh, I just saw the trailer. I just made it through all of the whole trailer this morning for Jordan Peele's new movie before I realized, oh, I've seen this trailer. Stop it. Yeah. Which movie? I think it comes out in June. The actual movie. Do you, you don't know what it's called. A horror movie? Of course. Looks very scary. I don't yeah. think you're going to be It's in. all right. I, I heart Jordan Peele, but, you know. I let you tell me about those stories. Candyman. Oh, fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) Never, ever. All right, Kate. So tell me, how many times have you experienced this story in either book, TV, movie form? As Blanche Devereaux says, many, many times. Many, many times. So, um, in college, um, Bard College did not believe in cable television, mm. uh, in being piped into the dorms. And so we had VHS tapes. They were cheap? Uh, no, it was much more like part of the culture. Oh, okay. A little up their own asses, but like, I, I do kind of love them for it. Mm-hmm. You didn't come to college to watch TV. To sit in your dorm and watch television. Got it. Yeah. Get out there and, you know. Bard, a place to think. Oh, God. I mean, that's the that's the line. Oh, man. Um, so we had a relatively small selection of VHS tapes and uh, a cycle of movies that we watched regularly. And High Fidelity was one of them, as was Gross Point Blank. So I don't know why John Cusack was so heavily featured in the, the rotation. But um, <laughs> so then like hundreds of times, um, like tens of times uh-huh, fives uh-huh. of times sure yeah um and so i i've seen the movie many times in college uh i i know and remember it from then so mm-hmm. like when we watched it recently uh like this week it, there were no surprises it just is exactly as i remember it being and i was very excited to hear that hulu uh made the series we watched it last week and i read the book last week also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so series one time book one time movie whole bunch of times yeah what about you i'm the opposite so series i've watched twice um i mean i guess not the opposite but the movie i think that was the second time i saw it i remember seeing it in 2000 i don't know if it was on vhs or in a theater and then i watched it with you last week and it wasn't that clear. Like, I remembered that, like, Lisa Bonet was in it. Um, I remembered, like, it was the record store movie. Um, the book, one time, I will not be reading the book again. Me neither. You've seen the movie so many times. Well, I mean, I guess I can ask this about the whole story, the story in general. What What do you think the themes are for? The story in general? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Heartbreak, personal growth, music and music culture, Mm -hmm. communicating with music and nostalgia. Mm. Yeah. I didn't have nostalgia. I had um, heartbreak 
as a theme, selfishness as a theme. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, relationship pressure, like the outside and the inside forces, like outside of you, everybody is asking, when are you going to get married? When are you having kids? Or like throwing their relationships in your face kind of in a weird way. And then within the internal turmoil is like, I'm not worthy because I haven't done these sort of um, milestone relationship things. So just like the relationship pressure just seems to be a theme in all three of them for me growing up. But that kind of ties to the selfishness thing and the dangers of settling. So Mm. so let me explain this. The book may have thought it was very romantic how it ended. Like, oh, they found their way back to each other. I was horrified. I feel like both of those people <laughs> shouldn't be together. I, I, it felt a cautionary tale. When I read the book, I was like, this is a cautionary tale about settling and the dangers of settling. And when we watched the movie, because we watched the movie before we read the book, when it ended, I was like, they're terrible for each other. Like, I don't even know what's going on here. And then the book sort of made me feel that way. And the TV show is great because they are hoping for other seasons. So we don't know what's going to happen. But God, I hope they're smart enough to not do it this way because it feels like people are settling. It does not. Well, and they can't do it this way because there isn't a Laura. Well, right. But they could still have her just end up with Mac again. Yeah. um... And show that Mac is like as bad as like Laura, like they did a really, I don't know if it's a good job. They did a job of making Laura just as like weird and bad sort of, I think they, as Rob. And so I've, neither of them seem like Laura a catch to me. Yeah. I, Laura doesn't seem like a catch to me either. Rob, definitely not. But Laura is not, not selling the, selling the goods to me either. And so when they end up together, I'm like, Oh, it's just I don't I don't know I don't like it yeah well we don't really know anything about her either but I I, I completely agree um what is there to celebrate I guess in their getting back together except at best a happy ending you know oh, the thing yeah. that the main character wanted right. did in fact happen um and yes that if they had put uh Mac and Rob back together at the end of the show that would be kind of like Lame. The same end. It would have been the same, same ending. ending. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah. So, so the dangers of settling. <laughs> and please know that I am not saying if you've had a tough time with someone you know is the love of your life, that you should not end up with them. I just don't think that's what's going on in this story. I don't think what you're saying at all is uh, don't get back together with somebody. Right. No, we're talking about this story. Yeah, yeah. It just feels it feels dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and and again, heartbreak. And I think that's the thing that that I am most drawn to about the story. All of the other stuff, it's kind of it's it's kind of hard for me to get into it. Have to have to admit. After you saw the last frame of the movie, what were your immediate thoughts and feelings? I thought the ending of the movie was super sweet. I was also really into romantic comedies, always rooting for everybody to get back together. And it ends with uh, him making the the mixtape for Laura. The art of making a great compilation tape 
like breaking up, I guess he's still talking about breaking up, is hard to do and takes ages longer than it might seem. You got to start it off with a killer to grab attention, blah, blah, blah. He wanted to make it full of stuff to make Laura happy. Right. And for the first time, he could sort of see how it was done. Right. Because he was now making a mixtape for her instead of a mixtape telling her what she should like. Yeah. And then they it's cut to Stevie Wonder. Mm hmm. Right. And we leave all happy and mushy. That is how I remember the ending. Which is so funny because we specifically picked the Stevie Wonder song at the top of the show today for this because that's the end of the movie and that's the end of the TV show series uh, season one. Um, And it's like happy and poppy, but it's what is what are they actually saying? It's like depressing and scary. And the next line that we didn't read was. I believe when I fall in love this time, it will be forever, which I'm sure Stevie meant like this time with you, the new person. But it's like for Rob and Laura, it's like they're like the other time. Yeah. This, <laughs> this time, this time we got it. Yeah, no, it, that's a peppy song. But yeah. if you just read the lyrics. It's scary and depressing. How did, but how did you feel at the end of the book? So, uh, so, so I had a pretty uh, technical response to the end of the book, to be, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. So it ends in different scenes. So it ends with the same, the same idea, but in different scenes. So in the end of the book, Rob and Laura are still at the show. She thumbs up him while he's DJing to indicate that she likes a song right. that he's playing. Right. And so that puts it in his mind oh, I should make a mixed tape for Laura, but he is not actually making um, the mixtape for her. In the end of the movie, he is actually making it. And also at the end of the movie, he does the thing where he explains the art of making it, Mm -hmm. which I think is the movie understanding the significance of Rob's growth in a way that the book does not understand that. Ooh, that's deep. Okay. Because they do, in fact, put the exact same... Uh, description of how to make a mixtape from Rob, but in the middle of the book. Mm -hmm. And they put it attached to the one that he's doing for Laura in the movie. And he's actually, actually, actually doing it. And also there's a line at the end uh, full of stuff she has heard of, full of stuff she'd play. And saying because she's, she's heard of it or would play it, is not the same as saying that she, she actually likes it. Likes it. Yeah. Um, and tonight for the first time, I can sort of see how it's done. Oh, Jesus. So it's just still incredibly <laughs> non-committal. Right. And not Male even necessarily. It's not even necessarily happening. He's just kind of thinking about it in a maybe I'd do it. And I sort of could see how it could be done right. while I'm DJing a set. Right. So I don't know. I can see um, it, it, it's, it was very, very interesting to see how they took the original source material and made choices with it. Yeah. For both of the adaptations. OK, so I want to hear more about Clyde and Mac. We agree that the movie is pretty much a name for name version of the book right mm-hmm. other than changing marie lasalle to marie de Salle. right what was wrong with lasalle i wonder i don't know i'm curious what the conversation was about that so but then in the hulu version mm-hmm. you have versions of the people right so like simon is dick sharice is barry mm-hmm. but then after you go down the list like that the next main character is laura right the so ex laura the ex right but there is no Clyde right. at all in the in the book or movie there is that's a new character so I would say for sure 
Mac is Laura, but not completely because Laura and Rob break up at the beginning of the book movie, but they broke up a year ago Mm -hmm. when the show starts. Mm -hmm. And I would also argue that the plot of the movie slash book is watching them break up, watching him obsess about her and then watching them get back together. And you know that that's what's going to happen. Whereas Hulu version, you don't actually know who you're rooting for. You actually have two people and you, you kind of think, Oh, it's going to be Mac. Right. But it's, it's not, they broke up a year ago. He is engaged and yes, there was one kiss, but like there is actually nothing. And suggesting. she reveals that she cheated on she cheated. the night of they got engaged. Exactly. Now a year later. So that is new information for him. Like there's really no logical reason to think they're getting back together. Right. And then that coupled with the addition of the specific question that John Cusack, Rob, asks Laura, what percent chance do you think we have of getting back together and she says nine hulu version their last text message was the same question do we have a chance of getting back together what percent and he writes nine that's coming from clyde right it's not mac yeah so that is a laura move being done by clyde i loved the ending of the hulu series because of the nine percent that was brilliant TV shows in general just give you so much more to do because they last longer. Um, They're more digestible because you do them in like half hours or hours or whatever. So like it's easier to explore something because you're going to explore it for an hour and then give people a break. The movie left out parts that they had to leave out. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But everything that it did do was just like a train blowing through the station kind of thing. Um, Whereas the Hulu TV series is like they took the five minutes of Rob going to buy the collection of albums from that like rich lady that was pissed off at her husband and going to just sell them for cheap. They turned that into a whole episode and really like delved into that and explored some other ideas in a way that the movie, is it even in the movie? No, they dropped no, it. No, it isn't. It, they filmed it. I read this. They filmed it and decided they needed to cut the movie down and then they just dropped it out. So it like wasn't even important enough, whatever they had on tape, they weren't impressed enough by it to keep it. Um, and then on in the book, it's just like a couple pages and it's done. Um, but I learned so much about Clyde and cared about him a little more after that episode. And, and about Rob. Yeah. And about Rob, but I kind of get that like Rob is the person that's going to not, do something that would benefit them in the name of music. Um, So I kind of like was frustrated by that, but got it. But Clyde, I kind of sort of came around to at first. I was like, Oh, this dopey dope guy who cares. And at the end of that episode, I was like, Oh, okay. No, he's, he's a good guy. Like he's interesting. I could see more of it. And then that ties to the 9% being him and not Mac because it's like, Oh, Clyde's going to stay on the show. He's going to be in season two. That's cool. You know what I didn't like about the TV show? Because I love the TV show. Mm. Loved it. But the only thing I didn't like, and this is sort of just like a maybe notes for season two. Hello. Hint, hint. Um, that they did not give Sharice, played by uh, Divine Joy Randolph. Um, they did not give Sharice her own episode. 
So they gave Simon his own episode. Um, obviously, Rob is the star of the show, but Sharice didn't get her own episode. And that they didn't make it clear that Sharice is dealing with her own like love slash heartbreak slash making peace with kind of thing, except that hers is being a musician. So like Rob and Simon are dealing with their love slash heartbreak slash making peace with um, being in or out of a relationship. But for Sharice, it's about the musician, like being a musician is her Mac. Um, that's her coffee shop boy. And I don't think I don't like that she didn't get the opportunity to like be angsty or to be overly thoughtful about that. Um, so I want that in season two. Like I want to see her top five like heartbreaks, even if it's like uh, about being a musician and has nothing to do with a partner. Um, or I want to see something about her lost loves. Like she sort of they sort of didn't do that with her at all. I did not like that Rob was still wearing the same coffee stained shirt <laughs> that the bike messenger spilled on her the day before uh, the morning after she and Clyde hooked up for the first time. You did not Ooh. like it. No. On like the she, TV show. We're talking about the TV. Yeah. 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 And like she's in her own house the next morning. Like, why can't she just put on a different <laughs> T-shirt? Wait, I, why did that bother you so much? You just you just had to sit through the date with the coffee stain there and like right you before you it. got the reveal of why yeah and that's like like why is she so messy right now <laughs> and and then they give you the why that that had happened on the way to the date but why does she still put on that same shirt the next morning when she's in her own house like wouldn't that much coffee stain smell so bad the but next I have day an answer for that it's because she's rob well, she she's depressed. Is depre- yeah i was gonna say yeah. she's a she is playing a character that is super depressed and also just sort of slovenly she puts the lipstick on in that one episode and immediately rubs it off her face and does not take the time to get it completely off her face like Sarah, the whole episode slob. rob is a slob to a greater degree they didn't do that with cusack rob oh well i think they just assumed he was a slob they have to they have to show you, especially with pretty women, they have to show you slob. Pretty women, they have to show mm-hmm. you that she's smart. Put those glasses on her. Otherwise, we're not going to know. All right. What do you love about this book? Anything? I mean, I didn't I didn't not enjoy reading it. OK, but nothing that you like stood out that you loved about the actual book. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I mean, what did you enjoy about the book? Um, I really loved that uh, some of the lines and some of the sort of thought provoking um, statements that were made through throughout the book. I mean, they were very lightly peppered through all of the other stuff that I feel is problematic, but like um, the idea that sentimental music takes you backwards and forward at the same time, just like what nostalgia is like, that's a perfect way to describe nostalgia and certainly a perfect way to describe nostalgia um, and how nostalgia is, evoked with music, um, something that takes you forward as well as takes you backwards. I think that that's a wonderful thing to just sit and think about. And I love that I came across that sentence. It's not that Nick Hornby invented that idea. It's just the truth that he presented here where I wasn't looking for something so deep. And I really enjoyed that part. I also like in the same way, really loved um, when he brought up the idea about 
music that belongs to you. Like if a song that uh, belongs to you and your partner and then you have a breakup or something happens and then it's hard to hear that song, it's hard to be a part of that song or musician or artists again. And that there are some songs that belong just to you. And that is something that I have always thought about. Like you have to be very particular about what music you try to share with other people because other people can fuck it up. And um, I just really love that he brought that up because it's just so true. And again, just like I wasn't expecting to get such a deep little like reminder about something that I care about um, in that way in this book. And I did, and and I just really, really love that because it just gets, gets my brain going in a in a, a fun way. Um, Do you feel like there are particular songs or artists that you specifically have mm-hmm. and that can, don't belong can, can to you anybody? Share them on a podcast because that would be revealing. Um, yeah, I mean, I have no problem sharing that. So I have a deep, deep love for '90s R and B music by male artists. I'm talking about your Jodices, your The Boys back in the 80s. Um, uh, Usher, when he first started out, Jay, uh, Jason Weaver, um, uh, After Seven, Mint Condition. Like, I love you very, very much, but I'm never trying to, like, experience Mint Condition with you um, because it's mine and I know it's mine. There's something very safe about that music. I, I can always go to it. It will never let me down. Even Ani DeFranco sometimes. I really like Ani DeFranco. But like sometimes I'm like, no, this reminds me of too many bad, too much bad shit. Like I just can't do it. Um, and there's so much Ani DeFranco to think that like I've lost a whole artist because of bad shit. Um, Ani. Oh, am I saying it wrong? Yes. <laughs> Are you freaking out over there? I've thought it before. <laughs> I oh, because I say it all the time. Uh, I'm, no, we don't talk about Annie DeFranco very much. But when I do, I say Annie DeFranco. Uh. <laughs> Wait, what was the word I said the other day? And you were like, "Oh, photography." <laughs> okay, guys. So Kate, it started with a different one. Well, I was saying to you that I say instead of pretend, I say pretend. If I'm just talking and not thinking, I will say pretend. And that is fucking problematic. I'm a writer. What's my problem? So I was sharing with you that I have said pretend on this podcast like six times. And there's nothing I can do about it except try not to say pretend and say pretend. And you were like, you also say photography. Yeah. <laughs> I say it like it's P-H-R-A. Photography. Photography. It's not. It's faux photography yeah, like photography <laughs> photography oh that's how you it's not even fra it's for photography jesus christ okay so now i i'm kind of curious to know like do you have music that you've given Anita up franco <laughs> no way no not given up i thought you were gonna say oh yours yours okay. always no, yours no. yeah yeah so yeah. ani is always yours no matter what yeah that's why that was heartbreaking to hear what you just said but i understand yeah Different strokes, different I folks. Knew that. I knew that. You've said that before. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. There's just so so much bullshit around Ani. Ani is fine. So much bullshit around her. But I love that, that she is yours no matter what. Yeah. You've been with Ani, though, for a long time. Well, I'm from Buffalo. Oh. Well, I mean, I'm not from Buffalo, but, like, you say that, you know. Right. Wait, so she's from Buffalo? Am I, like, you're going to kick me out of the house? That oh, I my that? God. I live in New York, New York, the city that never shuts up. I moved there from Buffalo. 
I mean, I'm, I got to stop while I'm ahead because mm-hmm. I don't even know what song that is. Something off of Puddle Dive. Yeah. Oh, well, I, OK, great. <laughs> oh, Puddle Dive. Right. I know that one so well. Indeed. Indeed. She's fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> um, anybody else that is just yours? Sarah McLaughlin, Simon and Garfunkel, mm-hmm. Ani mm-hmm. DeFranco. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No one can take like Anita Baker from me either. Mm. You know what I mean? People have tried. Really? Yeah. People have tried. How so? Shit talking. Oh, shit talk. Okay. I You'll guess like I listen it. to a song or, or play a song or like be like, I'm so into the song. And then people's immediately response is like, oh, I don't like her voice or like, you know, this or that or like negative response to it to try to maybe they're not purposely trying to be like your music taste sucks or I hate this person and you should too. But that's like, especially if you're very close to them. Like you hear that, oh, well, maybe they're not very good or or maybe, you know what I mean? So, oh, gosh, so that I thought it happened. was more about um, uh, opening up an artist to like a shared relationship in a way that somehow if the relationship went sour, then somehow the artist would go with them. No, it's that, too. It's it's picking a song that, you know, you both love and making it your song. The, yeah. So mm-hmm. like our song is closer Tegan Sarah. If something happened, That's which over. it won't, it would be hard for me to deal with hearing that song. Yeah. But also, if you continually shat on someone like Anita Baker or Frank Ocean, and I did let it get to me, then every time Frank Ocean would play, I would be like, oh, Kate hates Frank Ocean. And that's like taking it away, too. Who are these people that just walk around going, oh, unhappy people i mean maybe let go of the people not the artists no sure 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 but it's still hard oh it's still hard yeah still hard yeah and sometimes i don't think people think they're doing that like i was shitting on shakira for years and just thought was past tense (laughs) i'm now aware that i it's not for me but i don't shit on her the way that i used to it used to be worse (laughs) yes it used to be worse huh um, so I don't do that anymore, but I could have and without realizing it affect someone else's, you know what I mean? They love Shakira. And then anytime Shakira plays, they're like, you know, <laughs> Janet didn't like Shakira or thinks that her voice is whatever. Um, and that's not a right thing to do, but I wasn't consciously trying to ruin somebody's experience with Shakira. I was just being an asshole. All right. So since we're talking about music. Let's talk about this. In the book, I will read what Rob says. He says, what came first, the music or the misery? Did I listen to music because I was miserable or was I miserable because I listened to music? Do all those records turn you into a melancholy person? The unhappiest people I know, romantically speaking, are the ones who like pop music the most. And I don't know whether pop music has caused this unhappiness, but I do know that they've been listening to the sad songs longer than they've been living the unhappy lives. I mean, that's deep. Music does not make you more depressed. And I even I agree 100 percent with him. Uh, Some of the saddest people, you know, are listening to pop music. Mm -hmm. That is not why they are sad. It's not because of the pop music. And similarly, no, I don't think that listening to sad music makes you depressed at all. I think that in certain moods, 
the music, sad music is filling and validating and being the right thing to accompany sadness. Mm -hmm. But I do not think that music makes you sad. Are you sad because you're listening to sad music? No. You are less malleable than a person like me. But I do. But I'm malleable because I think that music can change one's mood for the better. I'm so easily affected, though. Because my answer is the opposite. I think it's both. When I am sad, I listen to music because it helps me feel the way I'm feeling and it validates my sadness. But after a while, I start to fall down the hole and I stay in the bad place longer than I might actually because I keep feeding myself sad music. How do you know how long you need to stay in the bad place? I mean, that is a good question. Well, I mean, I guess because I've been doing it for so many years, I can sort of see because I don't I don't do it as much as I have in the past that like, say I'm sad and I listen to sad music for two days. I should probably stop because then I can actually hear my own thoughts and start to work through what I'm actually feeling. But it's very easy for me to just continue to listen to sad music for two weeks. And then I'm just in a mood. Whereas I've probably gotten over or sort of my mind is close to working out what was making me sad in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear that. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's pivot to obsession because there's a lot of obsession. All three of them are obsessed with like why they're so sad or why their relationships don't work or music or whatever. Is there anything that you could obsess about for the rest of your life? And I mean, you have to choose only one thing to obsess about for the rest of your life. Why my so-called life couldn't get a season two. (laughs) That is so specific. You literally could be obsessed with that for the rest of your life. It bothers me a lot. Really? But um, I mean, I don't think that's what you mean by obsess about because there's nothing to be done about that. It was 25 years ago. But I like the answer. Yeah. Um, I would obsess about tech. No surprise there. What do you mean if you could obsess about one thing for the rest of your so life? Like, like, like Rob, how he's obsessing about. Yeah. Like he, I mean, spoiler alert. I feel like he's not going to stay happy or she's not going to stay happy. I think for the rest of their lives, they're going to be obsessed with being good enough. What is the definition of obsess? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel it. Mm-hmm. You have to look it up. <laughs> I mean, I could obsess about. <laughs> What I'm going to cook or eat next for the rest rest of of your your life. life. Okay. Perfecting my moose recipe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have a moose recipe. Do you? Please make it. I don't even have one. No, you don't have one. No, that terrible chocolate hummus that I tried to make, if anything, tasted like some imitation moose, but that's. (sighs) That hummus was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Molly never mentioned it again. No. No. Well, I mean, uh, spoiler alert, if you're listening, Molly, she used cocoa powder that expired in 2017. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't tell her that. (laughs) Well, I just did. So if you had to pick your favorite version of this story, which one would you pick? I mean, I just wouldn't respect somebody who didn't pick the Hulu version. Burn, listeners. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, there's nobody who could have liked it more than me, like at 20 years ago. Right. Because I can talk you about all this. Fan. And w- yeah, I was a fan 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was painful to watch. 
this, this time, time yeah. with you. I mean, he literally says that women's breasts were objects that were taken from men and they were trying Can't to reclaim what's rightfully theirs. Yeah, it's rough. Um, but if you are the type of dude, let's just say it, who's gonna stand your ground. That the movie or the book is better. Then we're just not on the same page. I hope you enjoyed us sort of just talking about the book, the movie, the TV show, the movie, the TV show, the book, the book, the TV show, the movie. At the end of the day, we really like the story. I think it's cool that no matter when Nick Hornby wrote this, there was something so uniquely interesting about it that people have wanted to continue to try to adapt it for 25 plus years like that as a creative person that's what i hope for i hope i make something so unique and so interesting in a way to people that they're like you know what let's do this for the stage you know what let's do this for a new generation of people like there has to be something there common themes something that everybody loves that makes it feel marketable in new ways over and over and over and over again and that's where nick wins uh, the day that's where uh, Nick was very successful with this book. And um, I think it's really cool. And that's what I hope for as a creative person. And, and it can be done. People are doing it. Alice Walker is someone that has a book, the color purple that became a movie, a musical. It's going to become a movie musical um, very soon. Apparently uh, let's uh, think of Toni Morrison beloved, right? Um, Brokeback Mountain, not many people know this, but Brokeback Mountain was a short story. Uh, like Water for Chocolate is a book that was also made into a movie. Um, there's so many things. Uh, what's on um, Netflix right now? All the Boys I've Loved Before. Mm -hmm. uh, Jenny Han, I believe is her name. Uh, that is a book. Um, adaptation is a thing. It's a good thing. Uh, we want more of it. I know people are kind of sick of things being remade. Um, but when you think about it as like, this was so great that people want to see it again in a new way. I would be interested in high fidelity another 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. That could be cool. Um, this has been a pleasure. Oh, did you have fun? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Thanks for having me. I love yeah. you too. <laughs> okay. We're going to go. Thanks for listening. We're on social media, Twitter and Instagram at creative, the number four EVR. Don't forget to be creative this week, even if you just think about it. Bye. Later.